everyone, she's I, D.B. Spitzer, hauled away, hold away in self, uh, I don't know, isolation, uh, currently, uh, at Casa D. Blacklock Audio Tales, which is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com, keep your feet warm with some Highland cow slippers in this cold season. It snowed in Portland as I recorded today on, uh, Pi Day, so... Hey, keep your tootsies warm, bunnyslippers.com. And yes, we are in week three of Google, and it's been quite a few three weeks of March, so let's, um, yes. Here we go with more Google. And remember, to keep Blacklock Audio Tales going, why not chuck us out in social media with Facebook at Blacklock Audio Tales. Um, you can also look for us at PGTTCM, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, our monthly show about the Cthulhu Mythos. We generally have guests like Ken Height or Scott, uh, 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 Adam Scott Lancy, uh, David Heath, and all kinds of other sorts of people to talk about all s- uh, sorts of things dealing with weird fiction in the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, you can also help out the show by going to pgttcm.com, hitting a donate button, or going to the shop. We've got cool t-shirts and uh, housewares there that you could purchase and decorate yourself and your dorm room or your cubicle or your barn or your sacrificial chamber or whatever you, wherever you listen to podcasts. But I don't listen to podcasts in a room. I listen on a bus. Well, then tell the person next to you, why don't you listen to Black Lock Audio Tales? It's an audio tale podcast that tells you a story one chapter at a time or more. And also generally has a theme for its month. This month is Nikolai Gogol, as it is his birth month. And so, yes, that is the theme of this series, Birth Months. If you haven't gotten it yet, you'll get it now, because I just told you. And uh, also, check out me, D.B. Spitzer, uh, Twisted Pulp. Search out Twisted Pulp, and uh, I, I, I do a few voices here and there for Mark Slade on Twisted Pulp. Search it out. And here we go with some Google in just a little bit. You know, I like to pad out the uh, last uh, three mi- or first three minutes with uh, just me yammering, but pgttcm.com. Find all episodes of this, Dave's Corner of the Universe, Articulate Warbling, and whatever else I'm producing this week. Taurus Bulba and Other Tales by Nikolai Vasilevich Gogol. How the Two Ivans Quarreled. Chapter 1. Ivan Ivanovich and Ivan Nikiforovich. A fine police has Ivan Ivanovich. Splendid. And what lambskin. Deuce take it, what lambskin. Blue, black with silver lights. I'll forfeit, I know not what, if you find anyone owning such a one. Look at it, for heaven's sake, especially when he stands talking with anyone. Look at him sideways, what a pleasure it is. To describe it is impossible. Velvet, silver, fire. Nikolai the wonder worker, saint of God. Why have I not such a police? He had it made before Agafya Fedosovina went to Kiev. You know Agafya Fedosovina, who bit the assessor's ear off? 
Ivan Ivanovitch is a very handsome man. What a house he has in Mirgorod. Around it on every side is a balcony on oaken pillars, and on the balcony are benches. Ivan Ivanovitch, when the weather gets too warm, throws off his pelisse and his remaining upper garments and sits in his shirt sleeves on the balcony to observe what is going on in the courtyard in the street. What apples and pears he has under his very windows! You have but to open the window and the branches force themselves through into the room. All this is in front of the house, but you should see what he has in the garden. What is there not there? Plums, cherries, every sort of vegetable, sunflowers, cucumbers, melons, peas, a threshing floor, and even a forge. A very fine man, Ivan Ivanovitch. He is very fond of melons. They are his favorite food. As soon as he has dined, and come out on his balcony in his shirt sleeves, he orders Gapka to bring two melons, and immediately cuts them himself, collects the seeds in a paper, and begins to eat. Then he orders Gapka to fetch the ink bottle, and with his own hand writes this inscription on the paper of seeds. These melons were eaten on such and such a date. If there was a guest present, then it reads, such and such a person assisted. The late judge of Mirgorod always gazed at Ivan Ivanovitch's house with pleasure. The little house is very pretty. It pleases me because sheds and other little additions were built onto it on all sides, so that, Looking at it from a distance, only roofs are visible, rising one above another, and greatly resembling a plate full of pancakes. Or, better still, fungi growing on the trunk of a tree. Moreover, the roof is all overgrown with weeds. A willow, an oak, and two apple trees lean their spreading branches against it. Through the trees peep little windows with carved and whitewashed shutters, which project even into the street. A very fine man, Ivan Ivanovitch! The commissioner of Potava knows him, too. Dorash Tarasovich Pukivochka, when he leaves Korola, always goes to his house. And when Father Peter, the protopope who lives at Koliberdas, invites a few guests, he always says that he knows of no one who so well fulfills all his Christian duties and understands so well how to live as Ivan Ivanovich. How time flies! More than ten years have already passed since he became a widower. He never had any children. Gapka has children, and they run about the courtyard. Ivan Ivanovitch always gives each of them cake, or a slice of melon, or a pear. Gapka carries the keys of the storerooms and cellars, but the key of the large chest which stands in his bedroom, and that of the center storeroom, Ivan Ivanovitch keeps himself. Gapka is a healthy girl, with ruddy cheeks and calves, and goes about in coarse cloth garments. And what a pious man is Ivan Ivanovitch! Every Sunday he dons his police and goes to church. On entering, he bows on all sides, generally stations himself in the choir, and sings a very good bass. When the service is over, Ivan Ivanovitch cannot refrain from passing the poor people in review. He probably would not have cared to undertake this tiresome work if his natural goodness had not urged him to it. Good day, beggar! He generally said, selecting the most crippled old woman in the most patched and threadbare garments. Whence come you, my poor woman? I come from the farm, sir. Tis two days since I have eaten or drunk. My own children drove me out. Poor soul, why did you come hither? To beg alms, sir, to see whether someone will not give me at least enough for bread. 
Mmm, so you want bread? Ivan Ivanovitch generally inquired. How should it be otherwise? I'm as hungry as a dog. Mmm, replied Ivan Ivanovitch usually. And perhaps you like butter, too? Yes, everything which your kindness will give. I will be content with all. Mmm, is butter better than bread? How is a hungry person to choose? Anything you please, all is good. Thereupon the old woman generally extended her hand. Well, go with God's blessing, said Ivan Ivanovitch. Why do you stand there? I'm not beating you. And turning to a second and a third with the same questions, he finally returns home, or goes to drink a little glass of vodka with his neighbor, Ivan Nikiforovitch, or the judge, or the chief of police. Ivan Ivanovitch is very fond of receiving presents. They please him greatly. A very fine man, too, is Ivan Nikiforovitch. They are such friends as the world never saw. Anton Prokofievich Popopos, who goes about to this hour in his cinnamon-colored surtout with blue sleeves and dines every Sunday with the judge, was in the habit of saying that the devil himself had bound Ivan Ivanovitch and Ivan Nikiforovitch together with a rope. Where one went, the other followed. Ivan Nikiforovitch has never married. Though it was reported that he was married, it was completely false. I know Ivan Nikiforovitch very well, and am able to state that he has never even had any intention of marrying. Where do all these scandals originate? In the same way, it was rumored that Ivan Nikiforovitch was born with a tail. But this invention is so clumsy, and at the same time so horrible and indecent, that I do not even consider it necessary to refute it for the benefit of civilized readers, to whom it is doubtless known that only witches, and very few even of these, have tails. Witches, moreover, belong more to the feminine than to the masculine gender. In spite of their great friendship, these rare friends are not always agreed between themselves. Their characters can best be judged by comparing them. Ivan Ivanovitch has the usual gift of speaking in an extremely pleasant manner. Heavens, how he does speak! The feeling can best be described by comparing it to that which you experience when someone combs your head or draws his finger softly across your heel. You listen and listen until you drop your head. Pleasant, exceedingly pleasant. Like the sleep after a bath. Ivan Nikiforovitch, on the contrary, is more reticent. But if he once takes up his parable, look out for yourself. He can talk your head off. Ivan Ivanovitch is tall and thin. Ivan Nikiforovitch is rather shorter in stature, but he makes it up in thickness. Ivan Ivanovitch's head is like a radish, tail down. Ivan Nikiforovitch's is like a radish with the tail up. Ivan Ivanovitch lolls on the balcony in his shirt sleeves after dinner only. In the evening he dons his pelisse and goes out somewhere, either to the village shop, where he supplies flour, or into the fields to catch quail. Ivan Nikiforovitch lies all day at his porch. If the day is not too hot, he generally turns his back to the sun and will not go anywhere. If it happens to occur to him in the morning, he walks through the yard, inspects the domestic affairs, and retires again to his room. In the early days he used to call on Ivan Ivanovitch. Ivan Ivanovitch is a very refined man, and never utters an impolite word. 
Ivan Nikiforovitch is not always on his guard. On such occasions, Ivan Ivanovitch usually rises from his seat and says, Enough, enough, Ivan Nikiforovitch. It is better to go out at once than to utter such godless words. Ivan Ivanovitch gets into a terrible rage if a fly falls into his beet soup. Then he is fairly beside himself. He flings away his plate and the housekeeper catches it. Ivan Nikiforovitch is very fond of bathing, and when he gets up to the neck in water, orders a table and a samovar, or tea urn, to be placed on the water, for he is very fond of drinking tea in that cool position. Ivan Ivanovitch shaves twice a week. Ivan Nikiforovitch once. Ivan Ivanovitch is extremely curious. God preserve you if you begin to tell him anything and do not finish it. If he is displeased with anything, he lets it be seen at once. It is very hard to tell from Ivan Nikiforovitch's countenance whether he is pleased or angry. Even if he is rejoiced at anything, he will not show it. Ivan Ivanovitch is of a rather timid character. Ivan Nikiforovitch, on the contrary, has, as the saying is, such full folds in his trousers that if you were to inflate them, you might put the courtyard with its storehouses and buildings inside them. Ivan Ivanovitch has large, expressive eyes of a snuff color and a mouth shaped something like the letter V. Ivan Nikiforovitch has small, yellowish eyes, quite concealed between heavy brows and fat cheeks, and his nose is the shape of a ripe plum. If Ivanovitch treats you to snuff, he always licks the cover of his box first with his tongue, then taps on it with his finger and says, as he raises it, if you are an acquaintance, Dare I beg you, sir, to give me the pleasure? If a stranger, Dare I beg you, sir, though I have not the honor of knowing your rank, name, and family, to do me the favor? But Ivan Nikiforovitch puts his box straight into your hand and merely adds, Do me the favor. Neither Ivan Ivanovitch nor Ivan Nikiforovitch loves fleas and therefore neither Ivan Ivanovitch nor Ivan Nikiforovitch will, on no account, admit a Jew with his wares, without purchasing of him remedies against these insects, after having first rated him well for belonging to the Hebrew faith. But in spite of numerous dissimilarities, Ivan Ivanovitch and Ivan Nikiforovitch are both very fine fellows. End of section 16. Recording by Todd. Taurus Boba and Other Tales by Nikolai Vasilevich Gogol How the Two Ivans Quarreled Chapter 2 From which may be seen whence arose the discussion between Ivan Ivanovich and Ivan Nikiforovich. One morning, it was in July, Ivan Ivanovich was lying on his balcony. The day was warm, the air was dry, and came in gusts. Ivan Ivanovich had been to town, to the mowers, and at the farm, and had succeeded in asking all the muzics and women whom he met all manner of questions. He was fearfully tired, and had laid down to rest. As he lay there, he looked at the storehouse, the courtyard, the sheds, and the chickens running about, and thought to himself, Heavens, what a well-to-do man I am! What is there that I have not? Birds, buildings, granaries, everything I take a fancy to. Genuine distilled vodka, pears and plums in the orchard, poppies, cabbages, peas in the garden. What is there that I have not? I should like to know what there is that I have not. 
As he put this question to himself, Ivan Ivanovitch reflected, and meanwhile his eyes, in their search after fresh objects, crossed the fence into Ivan Nikiforovitch's yard, and involuntarily took note of a curious sight. A fat woman was bringing out clothes which had been packed away, and spreading them out on the line to air. Presently, an old uniform with worn trimmings was swinging its sleeves in the air and embracing a brocade gown. From behind it peeped a court coat, with buttons stamped with coat of arms and moth-eaten collar, and white kersimere pantaloons with spots, which had once upon a time clothed Ivan Nikiforovitch's legs, and which might now possibly fit his fingers. Behind them were speedily hung some more in the shape of the letter pie. Then came a blue Cossack jacket, with Ivan Nikiforovitch had had made twenty years before when he was preparing to enter the militia, and allowed his moustache to grow. And one after another appeared a sword, projecting into the air like a spit, and the skirts of a grass-green caftan-like garment, with copper buttons the size of a five-kopeck piece, unfolded themselves. From among the folds peeped a vest bound with gold, with a wide opening in front. The vest was soon concealed by an old petticoat belonging to his dead grandmother, with pockets which would have held a watermelon. All these things piled together formed a very interesting spectacle for Ivan Ivanovitch, while the sun's rays, falling upon a blue or green sleeve, a red binding, or a scrap of gold brocade, or playing in the point of a sword, formed an unusual sight, similar to the representations of the nativity given at farmhouses by wandering bands, particularly that part where the throng of people, pressing close together, gaze at King Herod in his golden crown, or at Anthony leading his goat. Presently the old woman crawled, grunting, from the storeroom, dragging after her an old-fashioned saddle with broken stirrups, worn leather holsters, and saddlecloth, once red, with gilt embroidery and copper discs. Here's a stupid woman, thought Ivan Ivanovitch. She'll be dragging Ivan Nikovorovitch out and airing him next. Ivan Ivanovitch was not so far wrong in his surmise. Five minutes later, Ivan Nikovorovitch's nankeen trousers appeared, and took nearly half the yard to themselves. After that, she fetched out a hat and a gun. What's the meaning of this? thought Ivan Ivanovitch. I never knew Ivan Nikiforovitch had a gun. What does he want with it? Whether he shoots or not, he keeps a gun? Of what use is it to him? But it's a splendid thing. I have long wanted just such a one. I should like that gun very much. I like to amuse myself with a gun. Hello there, woman! Woman! shouted Ivan Ivanovitch, beckoning to her. The old woman approached the fence. Well, what's that you have there, my good woman? A gun, as you see. What sort of a gun? Who knows what sort of a gun? If it were mine, perhaps I should know what it is made of. But it is my master's, therefore I know nothing of it. Ivan Ivanovitch rose and began to examine the gun on all sides, and forgot to reprove the old woman for hanging it and the sword out to air. It must be iron, went on the old woman. Hmm, iron. Why iron? said Ivan Ivanovitch. Has your master had it long? Yes, long, perhaps. It's a nice gun, continued Ivan Ivanovitch. I will ask him for it. What can he want with it? I'll make an exchange with him for it. Is your master at home, my good woman? 
Yes. What is he doing? Lying down? Yes, lying down. Very good. I will come to him. Ivan Ivanovich dressed himself, took his well-seasoned stick for the benefit of the dogs, for, in Murgorod, there are more dogs than people to be met in the street, and went out. Although Ivan Nikoforovich's house was next door to Ivan Ivanovich's, so that you could have got from one to the other by climbing the fence, yet Ivan Ivanovich went by way of the street. From the street it was necessary to turn into an alley which was so narrow that if two one-horse carts chanced to meet, they could not get out, and were forced to remain there until the drivers, seizing the hind wheels, dragged them back in opposite directions into the street, whilst pedestrians drew aside like flowers growing by the fence on either hand. Ivan Ivanovich's wagon-shed adjoined this alley on one side, and on the other were Ivan Nikovorovich's granary, gate, and pigeon-house. Ivan Ivanovich went to the gate and rattled the latch. Within arose the barking of dogs, but the motley-haired pack ran back, wagging their tails, when they saw the well-known face. Ivan Ivanovich traversed the courtyard, in which were collected Indian doves, fed by Ivan Nikovorovich's own hand, melon rinds, vegetables, broken wheels, barrel hoops, and a small boy wallowing with a dirty blouse, a picture such as painters love. The shadows of the fluttering clothes covered nearly the whole of the yard, and lent it a degree of coolness. The woman greeted him with a bend of her head, and stood, gaping, in one spot. The front of the house was adorned with a small porch, with its roof supported by two oak pillars, a welcome protection from the sun, which at that season in Little Russia loves not to jest, and bathes the pedestrian from head to foot in perspiration. It may be judged how powerful Ivan Ivanovich's desire to obtain the coveted article was when he made up his mind, at such an hour, to depart from his usual custom, which was to walk abroad only in the evening. The room which Ivan Ivanovich entered was quite dark, for the shutters were closed, and the ray of sunlight passing through a hole made in one of them took on the colors of the rainbow, and, striking the opposite wall, sketched upon it a party-colored picture of the outlines of roofs, trees, and the clothes suspended in the yard, only upside down. This gave the room a peculiar half-light. "'God assist you,' said Ivan Ivanovich. "'Ah, how did you do, Ivan Ivanovich?' replied a voice from the corner of the room. Then only did Ivan Ivanovich perceive Ivan Nikoforovich lying upon a rug which was spread on the floor. "'Excuse me for appearing before you in a state of nature.' "'Not at all. You have been asleep, Ivan Nikoforovich?' "'I have been asleep. Have you been asleep, Ivan Ivanovich?' "'I have.' "'And now you have risen.' "'Now I have risen. Christ be with you, Ivan Nikoforovich.' How can you sleep until this time? I have just come from the farm. There's very fine barley on the road, charming. And the hay is tall and soft and golden. Kurpina, shouted Ivan Nikoforovich. Fetch Ivan Ivanovich some vodka and some pastry and sour cream. Fine weather we're having today. Don't praise it, Ivan Ivanovich. Devil take it. You can't get away from the heat. Now. Why need you mention the devil? Ah, Ivan Nikoforovich, you will recall my words when it's too late. You will suffer in the next world for such godless words. How have I offended you, Ivan Ivanovich? I have not attacked your mother. I have not attacked your father, nor your mother. I don't know how I have insulted you. Enough, enough, Ivan Nikoforovich. 
"'By heavens, Ivan Ivanovitch, I did not insult you.' "'It's strange that the quails haven't come yet to the whistle. "'Think what you please, but I have not insulted you in any way.' "'I don't know why they don't come,' said Ivan Ivanovitch, "'as if he did not hear Ivan Nikiforovitch. "'It is more than time for them already, "'but they seem to need more time for some reason.' "'You say that the barley is good?' "'Splendid barley, splendid.' A silence ensued. "'So you are having your clothes aired, Ivan Nikiforovitch,' said Ivan Ivanovitch at length. "'Yes. Those cursed women have ruined some beautiful clothes. Almost knew they were, too. Now I'm having them aired. The cloth is fine and good. They only need turning to make them fit to wear again.' One thing among them pleased me extremely, Ivan Nikiforovitch. What was that? Tell me, please, what use do you make of the gun that has been put to air with the clothes? Here Ivan Ivanovitch offered his snuff. May I offer you to do me the favor? By no means. Take it yourself. I will use my own. Thereupon Ivan Nikiforovitch felt about him and got hold of his snuff-box. That stupid woman! So she hung the gun out to air? That Jew at Sorotinsky makes good stuff. I don't know what he puts in it, but it is so very fragrant. It is a little like tansy. Here, take a little and chew it. Isn't it like tansy? Ivan Ivanovitch, I want to talk about that gun. What are you going to do with it? You don't need it. Why don't I need it? I might want to go shooting. God be with you, Ivan Nikiforovitch. When will you go shooting? At the millennium, perhaps? So far as I know, or anyone can recollect, you never killed even a duck. Yes, and you are not built to go shooting. You have a dignified bearing and figure. How are you to drag yourself about the marshes, especially when your garment, which it is not polite to mention in conversation by name, is being aired at this very moment? No, you require rest, repose. Ivan Ivanovitch, as has been hinted at above, employed uncommonly picturesque language when it was necessary to persuade anyone. How he talked! Heavens, how he could talk! Yes, and you require polite actions. See here, give it to me. The idea! The gun is valuable! You can't find such guns anywhere nowadays. I bought it of a Turk when I joined the militia. And now, to give it away all of a sudden? Impossible! It is an indispensable article! Indispensable for what? For what? What if robbers should attack the house? Indispensable indeed! Glory to God! I know that a gun stands in my storehouse. A fine gun, that. Why, Ivan Nikiforovitch, the lock is ruined. What do you mean by ruined? It can be set right. All that needs to be done is to rub it with hemp oil, so that it may not rust. I see in your words, Ivan Nikiforovitch, anything but a friendly disposition towards me. You will do nothing for me in token of friendship? How can you say, Ivan Ivanovitch, that I show you no friendship? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Your oxen pasture on my steps, and I have never interfered with them. When you go to Poltava, you always ask for my wagon. And what then? Have I ever refused? Your children climb over the fence into my yard and play with my dogs. I never say anything. 
Let them play, so long as they touch nothing. Let them play. If you won't give it to me, then let us make some exchange. What will you give me for it? Thereupon Ivan Nikoforovich raised himself on his elbow and looked at Ivan Ivanovich. I will give you my dark brown sow, the one I have fed in the sty. A magnificent sow. You'll see, she'll bring you a litter of pigs next year. I do not see, Ivan Ivanovich, how you can talk so. What could I do with your sow? Make a funeral dinner for the devil? Again, you can't get along without the devil. It's a sin, by heaven, it's a sin, Ivan Nikoforovich. What do you mean, Ivan Ivanovich, by offering the deuce knows what kind of a sow for my gun? Why is she the deuce knows what, Ivan Nikoforovich? Why? You can judge for yourself perfectly well. Here's the gun, a known thing. But the deuce knows what that sow is like. If it had not been you who said it, Ivan Ivanovich, I might have put an insulting construction on it. What defect have you observed in the sow? For what do you take me, for a sow? Sit down, sit down. I won't. Oh, no matter about your gun. Let it rot and rust where it stands in the corner of the storeroom. I don't want to say anything more about it. After this, a pause ensued. They say, began Ivan Ivanovich, that three kings have declared war against our Tsar. Yes, Peter Fedovorich told me so. What sort of a war is this, and why is it? I cannot say exactly, Ivan Nikoforovich, what the cause is. I suppose the kings want us to adopt the Turkish faith. Fools, they would have it said Ivan Nikoforovich, raising his head. So, you see, our Tsar has declared war on them in consequence. No, says he, do you adopt the faith of Christ? Oh, our people will beat them, Ivan Ivanovich. They will. So you won't exchange the gun, Ivan Nikoforovich? That's a strange thing to me, Ivan Ivanovich, that you who seem to be a man distinguished for sense, should talk such nonsense. What a fool I should be. Sit down, sit down. God be with it. Let it burst. I won't mention it again. At this moment, lunch was brought in. Ivan Ivanovich drank a glass and ate a pie with sour cream. Listen, Ivan Nikoforovich. I will give you, besides the sow, two sacks of oats. You did not sow any oats. You'll have to buy some this year in any case. By heavens, Ivan Ivanovich, I must tell you you are very foolish. Who ever heard of swapping a gun for two sacks of oats? Never fear. You don't offer your coat. But you forget, Ivan Nikoforovich, that I am to give you the sow, too. What? Two sacks of oats and a sow for a gun? Why? Is it too little? For a gun? Of course, for a gun. Two sacks for a gun? Two sacks, not empty, but filled with oats. And you've forgotten the sow. Kiss your sow, and if you don't like that, then go to the evil one. Oh, get angry now, do. See here, they'll stick your tongue full of red-hot needles in the other world for such godless words. After a conversation with you, one has to wash one's face and hands and fumigate oneself. Excuse me, Ivan Ivanovich. 
My gun is a choice thing, a most curious thing, and besides, it is a very agreeable decoration in a room. You go on like a fool about that gun of yours, Ivan Nikiforovitch, said Ivan Ivanovitch with vexation, for he was beginning to be really angry. And you, Ivan Ivanovitch, are a regular goose. If Ivan Nikiforovitch had not uttered that word, they would not have quarreled, but would have parted friends as usual. But now things took quite another turn. Ivan Ivanovitch flew into a rage. What was that you said, Ivan Nikiforovitch? He said, raising his voice. I said you were like a goose, Ivan Ivanovitch. How dare you, sir, forgetful of decency and the respect due to a man's rank and family, insult him with such a disgraceful name. What is there disgraceful about it? And why are you flourishing your hand so, Ivan Ivanovitch? How dare you, I repeat, in disregard of all decency, call me a goose. I spit on your head, Ivan Ivanovitch. What are you screeching about? Ivan Ivanovitch could no longer control himself. His lips quivered. His mouth lost its usual V-shape and became like the letter O. He glared so that he was terrible to look at. This very rarely happened with Ivan Ivanovitch. It was necessary that he should be extremely angry at first. Then I declare to you, exclaimed Ivan Ivanovitch, that I will no longer know you. A great pity. I shall never weep on that account, retorted Ivan Nikiforovitch. He lied, by heaven, he lied, for it was very annoying to him. I will never put my foot inside your house again. Oh, ho, ho, said Ivan Nikiforovitch, vexed, yet not knowing himself what to do, and rising to his feet, contrary to his custom. Hey there, woman, boy! Thereupon there appeared at the door the same fat woman and the small boy, now enveloped in a long and wide coat. Take Ivan Ivanovitch by the arms and lead him to the door. What, a nobleman! shouted Ivan Ivanovitch with a feeling of vexation and dignity. Just do it if you dare. Come on, I'll annihilate you and your stupid master. The crows won't be able to find your bones. Ivan Ivanovitch spoke with uncommon force when his spirit was up. The group presented a striking picture. Ivan Nikiforovitch standing in the middle of the room. The woman with her mouth wide open and a senseless terrified look on her face. And Ivan Ivanovitch with an uplifted hand as the Roman tribunes are depicted. This was a magnificent spectacle, and yet there was but one spectator, the boy in the ample coat, who stood quite quietly and picked his nose with his finger. Finally, Ivan Ivanovitch took his hat. You have behaved well, Ivan Nikiforovitch, extremely well. I shall remember it. Go, Ivan Ivanovitch, go, and see that you don't come in my way. If you do, I'll beat your ugly face to a jelly, Ivan Ivanovitch. Take that, Ivan Nikiforovitch, retorted Ivan Ivanovitch, making an insulting gesture, and banged the door, which squeaked and flew open again behind him. Ivan Nikiforovitch appeared at it, and wanted to add something more, but Ivan Ivanovitch did not glance back, and hastened from the yard. End of section 17. Recording by Todd. Recording done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Taras Bulba and Other Tales by Nikolai Vesilevich Gogol. Section 18. What took place after Ivan Ivanovich's quarrel with Ivan Nikiforovich? And thus, two respectable men, 
the pride and honor of Mirgorod, had quarreled. And about what? About a piece of nonsense, a goose. They would not see each other, broke off all connections, though hitherto they had been known as the most inseparable friends. Every day Ivan Ivanovitch and Ivan Nikiforovitch had sent to inquire about each other's health, and often conversed together from their balconies and said such charming things as did the heart good to listen to. On Sunday, Ivan Ivanovitch in his lambskin pelisse, and Ivan Nikiforovitch in his cinnamon-colored nankeen spencer, used to set out for church almost arm in arm, and if Ivan Ivanovitch, who had remarkably sharp eyes, was the first to catch sight of a puddle or any dirt in the street, which sometimes happened in Mirgorod, he always said to Ivan Nikiforovitch, Look out, don't put your foot there, it's dirty. Ivan Nikiforovitch, on his side, exhibited the same touching tokens of friendship and whenever he chanced to be standing always held out his hand to ivan ivanovitch with his snuff-box saying do me the favor and what fine managers both were and these two friends when i heard of it it struck me like a flash of lightning for a long time i would not believe it ivan ivanovitch quarrelling with ivan nikiforovitch such worthy people what is to be depended upon then in this world when ivan ivanovitch reached home he remained for some time in a state of strong excitement he usually went first of all to the stable to see whether his mare was eating her hay for he had a bay mare with a white star on her forehead and a very pretty little mare she was too then to feed the turkeys and the little pigs with his own hand and then to his room where he either made wooden dishes for he could make various vessels of wood very tastefully quite as well as any turner or read a book printed by lubia garia and popoff ivan ivanovitch could never remember the name because the serving-maid had long before torn off the top part of the title-page while amusing the children or rested on the balcony but now he did not betake himself to any of his ordinary occupations instead on encountering gapka he at once began to scold her for loitering about without any occupation though she was carrying groats to the kitchen flung a stick at a cock which came upon the balcony for his customary treat and when the dirty little boy in his little torn blouse ran up to him and shouted papa papa give me a honey cake he threatened him and stamped at him so fiercely that the frightened child fled god knows whither but at last he bethought himself and began to busy himself about his everyday duties he dined late and it was almost night when he lay down to rest on the balcony a good beef soup with pigeons which gapka had cooked for him while drove from his mind the occurrences of the morning 
Again Ivan Ivanovitch began to gaze at his belongings with satisfaction. At length his eyes rested on the neighboring yard, and he said to himself, I have not been to Ivan Nikiforovitch's today. I'll go there now. So saying, Ivan Ivanovitch took his stick and his hat and directed his steps to the street. But scarcely had he passed through the gate than he recollected the quarrel, spit, and turned back. Almost the same thing happened at Ivan Nikiforovitch's house. Ivan Ivanovitch saw the woman put her foot on the fence with the intention of climbing over into his yard, when suddenly Ivan Nikiforovitch's voice was heard crying, Come back, it won't do. But Ivan Ivanovitch found it very tiresome. It is quite possible that these worthy men would have made their peace next day if a certain occurrence in Ivan Nikiforovitch's house had not destroyed all hopes and poured oil upon the fire of enmity which was already to die out. On the evening of that very day, Agafia Fedosievina arrived at Ivan Nikiforovitch's. Agafia Fedosievina was not Ivan Nikiforovitch's relative, nor his sister-in-law, not even his fellow godparent. There seemed to be no reason why she should come to him, and he was not particularly glad of her company. Still, she came and lived on him for weeks at a time, and even longer. Then she took possession of the keys and took the management of the whole house into her own hands. This was extremely displeasing to Ivan Nikiforovitch, but he, to his amazement, obeyed her like a child, and although he occasionally attempted to dispute, yet Agafia Fedosievina always got the better of him. I must confess I do not understand why things are so arranged that women should seize us by the nose as deftly as they do the handle of a teapot. Either their hands are so constructed or else our noses are good for nothing else. And notwithstanding the fact that Ivan Nikiforovitch's nose somewhat resembled a plum, she grasped that nose and led him about after her like a dog. He even, in her presence, involuntarily altered his ordinary manner of life. Agafia Fedosovna wore a cap on her head and a coffee-colored cloak with yellow flowers and had three warts on her nose. Her figure was like a cask, and it would have been as hard as to tell where to look for her waist as for her to see her nose without a mirror. Her feet were small and shaped like two cushions. She talked scandal, ate boiled beet soup in the morning, and swore extremely. And amidst all these various occupations, her countenance never for one instant changed its expression, which phenomenon, as a rule, women alone are capable of displaying. As soon as she arrived, everything went wrong. Ivan Nikiforovitch, don't you make peace with him, nor ask his forgiveness. He wants to ruin you. That's the kind of man he is. You don't know him yet. That cursed woman whispered and whispered, 
and managed so that ivan nikiforovitch would not even hear ivan ivanovitch mentioned everything assumed another aspect as if his neighbor's dog ran into the yard it was beaten within an inch of its life the children who climbed over the fence were sent back with howls their little shirts stripped up and marks of a switch behind even the old woman when ivan ivanovitch ventured to ask her about something did something so insulting that ivan ivanovitch being an extremely delicate man only spit and muttered what a nasty woman even worse than her master finally as a climax to all the insults his hated neighbor built a goose shed right against his fence at the spot where they usually climbed over as if with the express intention of redoubling the insult this shed so hateful to ivan ivanovitch was constructed with diabolical swiftness in one day this aroused wrath and a desire for revenge in ivan ivanovitch he showed no signs of bitterness in spite of the fact that the shed encroached on his land but his heart beat so violently that it was extremely difficult for him to preserve his calm appearance he passed the day in this manner night came oh if i were a painter how magnificently i would depict the night's charms i would describe how all mirgorod sleeps how steadily the myriads of stars gaze down upon it how the apparent quiet is filled far and near with the barking of dogs how the lovesick sacristans steal past them and scale the fence with nightly fearlessness how the white walls of the houses bathed in the moonlight grow whiter still the overhanging trees darker how the shadows of the trees fall blacker the flowers and the silent grass become more fragrant and the crickets unharmonious cavaliers of the night strike up their rattling song in friendly fashion on all sides i would describe how in one of the little low-roofed clay houses the black-browed village maid tossing on her lonely couch dreams with heaving bosoms of some hussar's spurs and moustache and how the moonlight smiles upon her cheeks i would describe how the black shadows of the bats flit along the white road before they alight upon the white chimneys of the cottages but it would hardly be within my power to depict ivan ivanovitch as he crept out that night saw in hand or the various emotions written on his countenance quietly most quietly he crawled along and climbed upon the goose shed ivan nikiforovitch's dogs knew nothing as yet of the quarrel between them and so they permitted him as an old friend to enter the shed which rested upon four oaken posts creeping up to the nearest post he applied his saw and began to cut the noise produced by the saw caused him to glance about him every moment but the recollection of the insult restored his courage the first post was sawed through ivan ivanovitch began upon the next 
His eyes burned, and he saw nothing for terror. All at once he uttered an exclamation and became petrified with fear. A ghost appeared to him, but he speedily recovered himself on perceiving that it was a goose thrusting its neck out at him. Ivan Ivanovitch spit with vexation and proceeded with his work. The second post was sawed through. The building trembled. His heart beat so violently when he began on the third that he had to stop several times. The post was more than half sawed through when the frail building quivered violently. Ivan Ivanovitch had barely time to spring back when it came down with a crash. Seizing his saw, he ran home in the greatest terror and flung himself upon his bed without having sufficient courage to peep from the window at the consequences of his terrible deed. It seemed to him as though Ivan Nikiforovitch's entire household, the old woman, Ivan Nikiforovitch, the boy in the endless coat, all with sticks, and led by Agafia Fedotsovina, were coming to tear down and destroy his house. Ivan Ivanovitch passed the whole of the following day in a perfect fever. It seemed to him that his detested neighbor would set fire to his house at least in revenge for this, and so he gave orders to Gapka to keep a constant lookout everywhere and see whether dry straw were laid against it anywhere. Finally, in order to forestall Ivan Nikiforovitch, he determined to enter a complaint against him before the district judge of Mirgorod. In what it consisted can be learned from the following chapter. End of section 16, chapter 3.